0: seated we just want to say thanks to fathers for all that you do and I wanted to have just a time of prayer for dads today and I asked brother Jim Mingle to come and just lead us in praying for all of you guys and uh, the circle of your influence as well as I know in many hearts to be praying for guys that are not present here in the sanctuary just to lift them before the Lord amen amen
1: let us pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the example that you have given us as mm-hmm. fathers, Lord. Mm-hmm. You are the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. And Lord, I just lift up each and every father today. Father to me stands for a faith-filled individual. One that is attentive. One that is tender in heart. One that is humble with his children, Lord. One that is engaging and loves them, Lord. And one that is righteous in all the things that he does. And he does all these things, Lord, through love.
0: Mm-hmm. Lord, a
1: Father, mm-hmm. um. Rears his children with the scriptures on his lips and the spirit in his heart. Mm, mm, And, Lord, mm. we just ask that you bless each and every father today, those that are with us now here Mm -hmm. and those that are with you, Lord. Mm -hmm. And as we heard earlier, Lord, not every father holds his responsibility dear like Mm -hmm. you do, Lord, Mm -hmm. but you are our father. And, Lord, we thank you so much, not only for um, for having us, Lord. Mm. but for giving your son to us, Lord.
0: Yes, Lord Jesus. And Lord,
1: redeeming us, Lord, so that we can spend eternity with you. Mm -hmm. And Lord, I ask today that each and every father realizes his strong responsibility to be that lion at the gate of his house. Mm -hmm. Lord, Mm -hmm. in a world that is filled with uh, turmoil, Lord, Mm -hmm. let our Mm -hmm. fathers rear their children with a fear of you, Lord, in their hearts so they can properly disciple and raise their children. Lord, thank you for mm-hmm. all our fathers. I thank you, Lord, for my father, who mm-hmm. I still have, my father-in-law, and all those fathers out there who mm-hmm. have taught me the mm-hmm. ways in which to raise children. Lord, bless our fatherhood. In the name of Jesus Christ, yes.
0: that I pray. Amen. 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 It's okay to make noise in church. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> amen. Yes. Thank you. That it's very good. Thank you so much. And, and you know, we 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 resonate with that, guys, guys and gals and kids. You may be seated. And uh, I just uh, we want to give a uh, an expression of thanks to each of you. And I want to ask Brother Chuck to come and and uh, share one of these. This is just such a blessing to me. I I saw some ladies kind of getting a little jealous here, so I don't know exactly how to handle this. But we ended up we so appreciate. We just want to give a, a token of appreciation to all of all of you guys, and uh, in your Multiple roles as dads and brothers and sons, and uh, uh, take this opportunity, along with lots of, lots of grateful wives and kids, to be able to say thank you to dads for what you do. And as Brother Jim was praying, of course, for who we are, for who you are and who you're called to be, what we do comes out of who we are. And I, I believe that's why we can all take great assurance, and joy in uh, in the rock-solid foundation that we're looking at when we turn in a moment to the book of Colossians. And for our boys and girls in their Pathfinders and Explorers class, we are so glad today to have this time for each of you. So uh, boys and girls classes can go. Is it off? Oh, okay. Let's see if we can. Let me. Okay, uh, we can fix that real quick. Stop yeah, no, it's okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think we can. Oh, okay. So I think what we're gonna do. I see. Yeah. Okay. And then I've got one thing we can do. I. It's this may make a difference here. So let's do this again. And how do you go back to? How do you go back to start here? We'll take a minute off track here to do that and go live. There we should that should fix it. Okay, good. We are learning a few things along the way <laughs> today. I I am really blessed that we could share some time together to turn in our Bible back to Colossians chapter two today. I want to ask you to look with me first of all at uh, the last verse of chapter one, and to think about the dynamic truth that comes out of the realization of who Christ is in our lives that enables all of us to have confidence in growing. And first of all, we begin in that 29th verse of Colossians 1, where the conclusion we saw last week is of a work of God's grace that we can all look forward to, that we can all participate in, and, of course, that we can be assured of because of the triumph of Jesus over death, hell, and the grave in his resurrection glory. But I want to touch on this 29th verse of chapter 1 as a quick intro here because it relates both to our theme today, how we grow, and to the role of fathers to the real vision that connects all of us who have any aspect of responsibility as leaders. And so the text in Colossians 1.29, I'm reading from the New International Version, says, to this end, again, same word as we saw last week, the word of goal, the goal of maturity. So to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So just before we read the, the text I've listed on the screen, we see the Apostle Paul here is engaged. What do we need more than anything today as dads, as men, as fathers? It's an engagement. It's being engaged. It's being attentive. It's being aware of the, both the prospects of growth in the lives of our kids and our loved ones and of some dangers on the horizon. And we've touched on a couple of those dangers in recent weeks. But today I want to put a focus here on one of the great benefits of what we saw last week when we did something is probably a bit unusual. I did a quick crash course, a deep dive real fast on the truth of the Trinity last week. And I thought a bit later that um, one of the things that we're missing in our culture today is an understanding of how Basic and powerful biblical truths like the Trinity interface with the challenge to grow. Because the most significant aspect of what was stirring the heart of the Apostle Paul, as we see in chapter 1, verse 29, is the passion for the people of God to grow. The passion for every redeemed child of God, every son or daughter of the Lord who's come to him through faith in the blood, to be growing actively, to have robust growth. So that leads into his uh, explanation of an area of of a series of truths that I think of the way to grow. Read with me in Colossians 2, verse 1 through 7. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally, my goal is, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now we're going to pause right at that point first to think about this fact, this challenge to grow that is anchored in unshakable truth. When you look at that uh, third and fourth verse, you see that the Apostle Paul is speaking of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, a kind of a broad sweep of facts that we need to know. And all of these are found in the person of Christ. Now go to the ninth and 10th verse and notice that the theme returns to this, again connecting to what we saw last week, that the eternal deity of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Eternal preexistence and eternal deity and the glory of the Trinity is not just a truth to be known as believers, it is foundational to our growing as believers. And we see this in Colossians 2 9 and 10, where he says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, when you look at Christ, Jesus, our Redeemer, you see in him all that you need to know for your life to be rightly related to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in the upper room discourse to the disciples when he was praying to the Father and saying, Father, make known your glory to those to whom you've given me that the world may know that you have sent me. For this... Is life eternal, John 17, 3, Jesus defined it in a very crisp, concise, and memorable way. This is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Same chapter, John 17, 17, he, near the conclusion of that prayer, tells us how this growth will take place. When he says, Father, sanctify them. Through your truth, your word is truth. So when we put it together, then we see that in Colossians 2, 9, and 10, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ. And then again, back in that 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 second and third verse of the same chapter, we see him saying that his goal is that we come to know this mystery which is knowing Christ, in whom are hidden the full treasures that God has in store for us. Now, the connection that I think is vital for us to see is that there are some things you can count on, my friend, that never, ever change. And when you begin to think of it this way, you realize that one of the real stumbling blocks of the contemporary Christian is that he or she is often tangled up in a subjective internal struggle. And the internal struggle may revolve around different issues in our lives, but notice that in this opening verse that Paul is saying, I am contending for you. Now I'd like to ask you to think about it in this light, that the very contending, this energetic working that we saw in verse 29 of the first chapter, and we see in the first verse of the second chapter, this is a reflection of a passion that is not just pastoral in the life of Paul, it is that, and it's apostolic, and I was thinking this week, it's also fatherly. The more I I worked in this passage this week, I was struck, everything I'm going to say today about uh, the truth intersecting our lives is very relevant for our roles as fathers. Paul was saying as a spiritual father, as an apostolic church planter, and in this text really pastoring the people from a distance from his house arrest in Rome, Paul is contending for what matters most today, just as it mattered most then, it matters most for this church, as much as it mattered for the Colossian and Laodicean churches, in that there is no more significant source of motivation for your future than that you grow in Christ Jesus. That you and I see our daily lives as an opportunity to grow freely, unencumbered by lies and deception, and obstacles, many of which are our own making, and those externally that come to us through the influences of the world. Now, Paul, in this text, in this section of Colossians, in just a snapshot, I want us to see that he deals with both the goal of growing and the necessity of watching out for things that will entangle us in useless spinning of our wheels. That is, The goal is to grow freely, fully aware of what we saw in that ninth verse, that all the fullness of Almighty God dwells bodily in the risen, exalted, glorified body of our Lord Jesus Christ. We might wonder why the body is emphasized there, because he he dwelt eternally with the Father, as we saw last week, in, in his pre-existent, his pre-human form. But when Christ became man, when the man God took our sin, the only one who could have, as the Lamb of God, paid the penalty for our eternal, our eternal sinfulness, and bore that sin to Calvary's cross, and in death, burial, and resurrection, God Almighty Romans 6 4 tells us raised his son by his own glory so that in Christ we could say, I'm dead to my old life, I am a new creation in Christ, risen to newness of life. We'll celebrate that next Sunday when we have water baptism, the going under and coming up from the water. Just a simple, simple illustration of what has already happened internally through the new birth. So, this passage. Gives us both the goal of growing and some things to observe or to think about on the horizon. Now, why is this so important? First, because of the goal itself, that growing in Christ is not just some academic or theoretical thing. Growing in Christ is becoming the unique person in Christ that He has designed you to be. One way to put it is like this No one in Christ. Can be the you that you are. You are unique, not only individually as a created person, you're also unique individually as a redeemed child of God. This is why one of the great sources of encouragement when you're going through a very difficult time is to recognize there's certain things God has chosen to do through the grace and redemptive power of Christ that you can always count on. And it is not dependent on the culture around us, or on your mood on a given day, or on your recent tangible experiences in your walk with God. It is dependent upon Christ alone. So when we begin to grasp it, the, the supremacy of Christ himself, as we saw last week, that in him all things are held together, That in the cosmic reality of who Christ is, there is a daily application each of us can draw from. The one in whom even the atomic, even the the infinitesimally tiny components of an atom, which are still a fascination to to physicists and scientists around the world to study what is inside of the atom, uh, that in itself is one of of a million Examples in creation of how the eternal cohesiveness of the universe does not have an explanation in science that can even begin to match what we read in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, the eternal logos, the most logical person you'll ever meet is Jesus because his logic is flawless. In the beginning was the Logos, the logical one. Would you say the logical one with me? The logical one. Now say the word of God. The logical one. Exactly. Now, reason we know we stand in awe at things we can't grasp is because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah 55, he said that. But the real essence of all that God has done shows such incredible logic that when we stop and begin to realize what Colossians 1 told us is Christ himself is the source out of which all logic came. And Colossians 2.9 tells us that all the fullness of deity dwells in the bodily risen exalted king whose nail-scarred hands in eternity still display the triumphs of his grace. In fact, Revelation chapter 5, when it portrays what we can't see with our natural eyes, but when the veil is pulled away and, the, and that, uh, that, great, uh, that great lion of the tribe of Judah is revealed to John on the island of Patmos, and then as his eyes are lifted high, he sees that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the promised one, is none other than the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, triumphant over hell, death, and the grave. And John begins to say... I have no other response other than you are worthy, O God. You're worthy, O God. You're worthy, O God. I think that's what Colossians calls for you and me today, to say he's worthy. His glory is all sufficient. If we're clear about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of what he's done for us, then we can grasp why it was that this letter kind of moved from the house arrest location where Paul was in Acts chapter 28 and traveled by the hand of Epaphras and made its way back to that little Colossian area there in that cluster of cities with Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis where we saw last week that 90 miles east of where Paul had been had his most successful and most broad-reaching campaign for the gospel in Ephesus, that a city that had never met Paul, that the word of the living God had gone there, and it was bearing much fruit, and it became a microcosm. One reason we have the epistle of the Colossians in our Bibles, it became a microcosm of the very essence of what real missions is. It is the good news of the gospel that is triumphant over the weird and contradictory cacophony of voices in the world that show us a false view of reality. One of the takeaways from studying Colossians is we realize this is not just a book that's encouraging, it is that. It's not just a book that's inspirational, it is that. It's not just a book that stretches our thinking, it does that, but it also shows us that in every generation there are competing views of reality that come up against the eternal, unshakable foundation of the gospel, and they all crumble and fail. But while they're rearing their ugly heads, like Marxism, Leninism 130 years ago, in the midst they often cause the destruction of millions of people's lives while the gospel continues to triumph over the fallen systems of men. Now, one way we know this is that uh, this text shows us that in In Colossians, Paul was concerned for these people in that region to be guarded from a network of false ideologies. Now, I want to ask you to rivet your eyes to your own text in your Bible for a moment, to two different verses. And if you have your Bible open in Colossians 2, we're going to look quickly at verse 9. I mean at verse 4, at verse 4, and then at verse 8. And nine. Now, in verse four, underscore, if you have your Bible with you and you could just note this, maybe, and think about the application we want to make here to our culture today, that Paul is writing, he says, and let me back up and say, he's writing not to just explain things in an academic way, he's writing to guard against delusion. Now, here's a couple of related words in English, illusion and delu- delusion. Illusion is having a mind or a fantasy about something that's not real. Delusion is someone or someones trying to plant illusions in the minds of others. Okay? So just hold that thought for a minute and look at Colossians 2.4. Paul says, why do we need to know about Christ and his sufficiency? So Paul says, verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It's a very interesting phrase in verse 4. It connects to what he says later in verse 8. But first look at verse 4. Delusion, he says, begins with an attempt of a false teacher. We might say a false concept, an ideology that is misleading But sounds good. Now this is a characteristic of deception. That there are. You'll rarely hear of anyone caught up in some. Really great deception. For whom you can't find some seed of truth in it. And in fact what makes most deceptions alluring. Is that they play upon. The mind. With a half truth. So. A ridiculous example would be one we've used before where people claim that God wants you to be rich and that, you're, that if you really believed God and you really had faith, you know, that you would have just, un, just unlimited wealth and that you would go from one level of riches to another and uh, all of that stuff. And you, we, we all know that's a, a false concept. Um, but the fact is that the Bible clearly shows that God does want good things for his people. And that, and that wealth and, and, and prosperity is one of the blessings of God. The Bible says that in, in, in Joshua 1.8 and in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and, and in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We can just go on and on and on. So, so what, what happens is well, what happens is somebody sees a legitimate truth, a legitimate valid truth, but they stretch it out of proportion and it becomes a lie. Rarely does a cult or a, or a false doctrine take root without having some element of truth in it. Now, Paul is dealing with a particular problem called Gnosticism. And uh, before we look at that 8th verse, I'll just get a quick view of this. He he uses the term in in chapter 2, verse 8, about where these concepts came from. And we're not going to do a deep dive on this. We're just going to skim the surface to get a sense of why it's relevant today. It may sound like, wow, Pastor Joe, this has nothing to do with my life today. No, it actually does, and you're going to see why in just a moment. Well, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And read the last four words of verse 8 aloud from your Bible, please. Not according to Christ. So here's the, here's the idea. Paul is showing them There is a kind of a widespread belief system that the Colossian churches had been exposed to. And it's understandable. They were in a a part of the Roman Empire where Greek philosophy was was in the ascendancy. The Roman Empire was in a a more prosperous phase than it had been in in a couple of hundred years. And people were curious about all kinds of belief systems all over. And one of the belief systems that probably came from uh, from from the the caves around the Dead Sea in the Essenes movement was a thing called Gnosticism, and and that word, based in the word knowledge, basically implied a couple of things in this generation. It implied first of all that that matter is evil, but spirit is good. So that was the first idea. And the idea was that anything material that you can touch is tainted by evil, but the invisible realm is all good. So out of that false concept came what scholars call a dualism, where basically the idea was that in order for the, whoever God might be, and they really believed in multiple levels of gods, but whoever the God might be who is really the ultimate creator of all things that, to, to, that no material object could ever touch that God. Because if a material object touched that God, that it would be it would be destroyed. So they believed in series of intermediaries, like, like angelic beings that could come down like in a cascading fashion and bring some spark of the divine to the human soul. Okay, now we're getting closer to 2021. Because any bookstore in America today, you could easily find many, many, many psychology and occult-related books in both categories, not necessarily the same, but many psychology books and many occultic resources where the spark of divinity within a human being is the source out of which positive thinking and mind over matter can be developed. So the idea is... That if you can only get in touch with that spark of the divine, then you can ascend into different levels of enlightenment. So you can see what was very alluring to people, because it obviously has certain elements that appeal, the idea that we could overcome the human tendencies by increasing levels of initiation in a higher wisdom. Now, the appeal of it, of course, got anchored uh, very, very deeply in in the culture of the Colossian area by leading people to believe that you need a Savior, but the Savior you need is one who saves you from the material universe. Oh, but didn't we just read last week that Christ the King, Christ our Lord, is the creator of all things? So it is a completely contrary way of looking at the world. And the results of it were such that strange practices that happened in Colossians mingled together Jewish mysticism and pagan uh, superstitions to create a kind of a blended idea that the early Christians were contending with. That is, early Christians had learned the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had learned that Christ is Lord over the universe. But Paul's letter to the Colossians helps them understand it applies to all aspects of creation. The one who created all things is Lord over all things. And surprise, surprise, the material world is not bad. It's God's creation. Now, sin has entered in and sin has created a fallen condition, but the Redeemer has already made it possible for all human beings to know their Creator. And no, you don't need to go through 19 levels of angelic intermediaries. Christ's blood is all you need to close that gap between your sinfulness and the holiness of God. And so, in that eighth verse, Paul applies this um, Gnostic thought to three areas, or describes it in three ways in that uh, eighth verse. He speaks of it as not being taken captive to empty words, human tradition, and superstitions. So in any culture, in any generation, there can be false concepts that suddenly take the culture by storm. And of course, one of the things we're contending with now as fathers and as parents and as in, in all of our lives is a strange, a weird ideology in our culture that's trying to distort sexuality into something that is a, is totally distorts the original creation of, of Genesis chapter 2 where the Bible tells us God created them in his image. He made them male and female. Male and female created he them created he, him, that is, human, man, himself, male and female, and that the male and femaleness, what the woke crowd calls binary, is God's design. Now think about it in comparing with this Gnostic heresy. It's hard for us to think about the Gnostic heresy because it seems so distant. It seems so weird. It seems so foreign from us. But many of our current controversies have roots in this kind of thinking, in that the Gnostic idea would be that you've got to find yourself, you've got to find that spark of divine, and by by going through various kinds of rituals in life, in their case, it included asceticism on the one hand and debauchery on the other. But the goal was enlightenment. And isn't the goal for many of describing this completely distorted view of sexuality that is even being promoted in schools in many ways attempts to try to make people think it's normal to think there might be many genders out there. That is not normal. It's not scientific. It's not logical. But it has taken on powerful currency in our culture. Now, I'd like to make this quick connection. I'm not going to take much longer, but if you look at the text now, think about verses 4 and 8 as a kind of a bookends of truth about how we engage the cultural controversies of our time. I realize none of us are dealing with Gnosticism, but we're dealing with Gnostic thought. And we're dealing with ideas that my experience and how I perceive my experience is far greater reality than anything that's ever been known or revealed. My experience becomes the test, the plumb line, by which I decide what is truth or error. Paul says, no, not only is that not true, but I've got great news for you. We can prove it's not true, because Christ, the risen Lord, in his extended glory over creation, frees you from these heresies so that you can grasp in your soul that Gnostic mystic theories about emanations from God and secret knowledge is, shouted out with me, nonsense. Nonsense is not just a fun word. It's a good word because it's the opposite of logic. Didn't we talk about the fact that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the Logos, was God? God is the creator of logic, and once the reason we can't often see it is because we're not often mindful of how illogical our emotions are. Now, this is a silly way to illustrate it, but I want to ask you to think, if you remember a saying, you may have heard a question that goes something like this, if... A tree falls in the forest, help me out, and no one is nearby to hear the tree. Are you still with me? Right? There's different versions of this question. But if a tree falls in the forest and no one is nearby, does it make a noise? Now, that seems like one of the silliest questions you could ever ask. And yet, at the heart of that question is the very truth that Colossians brings us, which is, of course, yes, the sound of a tree crashing in the forest is an objective reality. You don't need an ear, a human ear, to hear the sound for that sound to reverberate through the forest. By the same token, Scripture is showing us that Christ in His glory, that Christ our Lord is the one who brings us to a mature understanding of life that, yes, is logical. Now, you might say, now, Pastor, are you saying you can understand God? No, 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 I'm not saying that. Of course not. (laughs) I would never dare say that. Scripture tells us that he's infinitely wise, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Uh, None of us us can ever even hope with our pea-sized brains to grasp the magnitude of his awesome glory. But it is precisely because we can't attain to that level of knowledge that Jesus made it clear. God the Father, through salvation in Jesus Christ, made a way... That every single heart, think of it, every single heart on this planet, every single human being can have a living, vibrant, open, growing relationship with the true and living God because the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son as the Sacrifice Lamb who in his risen, exalted glory at the right hand of God the Father Almighty Now says the way is open, Hebrews 10, 19 tells us in invitational words, So then, since a new and living way has been made open through the veil that is his torn flesh and shed blood, let us come boldly into the very immediate presence of Almighty God. We come to the Father who can be known. We come to the Father who's made himself knowable. We come to the Creator who Christ himself revealed to be our heavenly Father. So in verse 6, we're told the way to grow is just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did we receive him? Now think about the connection here in verse chapter 2 verse 6 to what we saw last week in chapter 1, verse 28. And I'd like you to think about it like this. That together, we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we, that is, God has designed this to be a shared experience. It is not just my individual spiritual world. No, we're part of, of a great plan that God has that men and women would share a calling for the kingdom of God that puts us into this life that Jesus has made available for us. Why? What's the goal? What's the goal of growing? So that we, that is all of God's people, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This beautiful fact is like what Is at the very core of Colossians, and and it helps us realize why the new birth is so important. Because to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in my life, to receive him as my Lord, is the entry into the faith. If a tree falls in the forest, can it be heard? Yes, because of the objective reality of truth and many of us are experiencing times in our lives spiritually where we get confused even about what we believe who we can trust what did my experience mean what happens if i'm not feeling anything today one brother in florida i heard years ago he said i don't really feel saved until after my second cup of coffee in the morning well you know the truth is all of us are fluctuating fickle Human beings, aren't we? And and the beauty of the grace of the gospel is that God cares about our feelings. Our feelings are real, and and God blesses us with wondrous feelings. And we can look back on our spiritual journey, and I can tell you times in my life where I was literally swept off my feet with joy in the presence of the Lord. And those wonderful visitations of the Lord, where you sense the power of the Holy Spirit in a definitive way, those are wonderful outpourings of the grace of God, but my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, including Joe Reedy's experiences, all other ground is sinking sand. Could you shout something out with me real quickly? Sinking sand. Say it again. Sinking sand. The Gnosticism Paul wrote about to the Colossians was sinking sand. The wokeism of our culture is sinking sand. The tampering with sexuality in our culture is sinking sand. It's worse than sinking sand. It's destructive sinking sand. But. We won't see clearly how to make these distinctions until we connect it back to these unshakable, unchangeable, logical facts. Say it out loud with me very quickly if you could. For by him all things were created through him and for him and in him all things hold Together. Do it from the top again. For by him, all things created through him, and for him, and in him, all things hold together, and continue now, that in all things, he might have the supremacy. So the, that's the anchor. Logical, eternal, unshakable truth. The facts are real, The facts are in Christ. And in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul now connects those facts to what chapter 2, verse 6 calls our walk. Our walk through this world is a walk of God, a walk of faith. We know that wonderful word walk is is a favorite in the epistles, not only the epistles of Paul, but of John. In 1 John 2, 6, the Apostle John wrote, I write all of these things to you so that you might walk as Jesus walked. In Ephesians 4, Paul said, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. These illustrations of walking show us a pattern by which the Holy Spirit enriches your life, Because every step, the simplicity of step after step after step in your life means that on June the 19th of 2022, you can stay focused on Jesus. And on June the 20th, tomorrow, on Monday morning, even before your first cup of coffee, you can stay, stay with me, stay focused on Jesus. The Apostle Paul gives us this invitation that we might be a people who can exercise faith in the confidence of God's eternal logic revealed in the cosmic conquest of His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to leave you just with four quick applications, both of how Paul ministered to the people in this Colossian church but also it's a takeaway for fathers today there's a sweet parallel that just arose in my heart of these four things it applies to fathers as well as to the message of Colossians 2 first Paul was writing as i said in Acts 28 under house arrest he was writing of at, from a distance of around uh, around 490 miles he was sending a message through an amb- uh, through a courier and You can tell it in the text. He says, I'm I'm wrestling, I'm contending for those in Laodicea and Colossae who have not seen me personally, and and I'm passionately yearning that you not lose touch with the magnitude of who Christ is. Yes, you'll hear ideas about how to have an enlightened experience that will make you initiated into the spark of the divine. It's like he's saying, don't pay attention to that. Don't get derailed with lesser, with human ideas about about, uh, the unseen realm. No, the unseen realm has been made known to us in the eternal cosmic conquest of our King, the risen Christ. So at a distance, a great distance, without email or text or tweets or anything else, Paul is ministering to people at a great distance. Fathers, many times, are giving attention to their sons and daughters at a distance. And the first way is just as Paul did in prayer. Secondly, it was focused encouragement in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It wasn't just encouragement like, oh, pat you on the back, say, you know, uh, things are going to get better for you. Things, You know, just believe and trust that things are going to get better. No, Paul gives them substance. He gives them anchors. He shows them why that knowing Christ himself gives you the assurance you don't have to be troubled with the vague superstitions of a world that is looking for meaning by internal experiences. Christ-centered goals Paul gives us in verse 7, where he says, Now, because you've received Christ as Lord, so walk in Him. Three ways he describes it. First, a walk. Secondly, roots going deep into the soil of God's Word. And thirdly, An overflowing heart of thanksgiving. Those are Christ-centered goals all of us can share, as well as our kids. And then, when the time comes to warn, when the time comes to point out danger, what does a good dad do? A good dad does exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. The entire letter is wrapped around the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ, but when he sees the danger points, he shows them, and he says, You won't even need to trouble yourself with it as long as you do this, as long as all together we stay focused on Jesus. Now, can we pray together as we do? I want to ask you to think today on this Father's Day about the beautiful gift it is that God so loved the world not only that he gave his only begotten Son, but you could also say God so loved the world that he gave you logic. (laughs) He gave you logic. He's the creator of logic. The things we don't understand is because we haven't reached an understanding of the full logic of what he's made known, but the logic behind his design is awesome. And whenever human beings, through, this, through these movements we've talked about, whenever human beings try to tamper with the logic of God, male, female, the things we've talked about, then that begins to be a poison that drags down thinking in other areas. So i want to invite you to pray. And as we do, of course, receiving Christ as Lord is at the foundation of it all. And so just before we go today, a Father's Day would be a perfect day for somebody who said, I'm not quite sure, I'm not totally certain. Of where I stand in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I know I believe, I know there are things I know, but I'm I want to be sure that I have personally done what verse six says, received Christ as Lord. That's a personal decision that we respond to the offer of the gospel in this body of believers at any time. This door of receiving Jesus is wide open. And God's grace makes it such. That wherever you've been, whatever your background has been, the Holy Spirit uses that thirst in our souls to draw us to the realization, yes, I can trust Christ, the risen King. And so, as we pray, if you would desire prayer to receive the Lord, I'm going to take a moment to ask for anyone to lift a hand that will privately pray and meet with you, and then Just take a moment, lift your hand if you have a question, if you have a need, if you have a desire to know certainty about your relationship with Jesus. And then for all together, could you take a moment with me and lift our hands with thanks to the Father for the freedom that you have to grow? Today, go and grow because your way, your way is made open through the power of our Savior's Conquest Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. This song that uh, Justin and the team are going to lead us in that says, "I can sing of your love forever. It's like that same abounding Thanksgiving of Colossians 2:7, the heart overflowing again and again and again. God, I could never, ever sing enough of your great love.